Who heard about the scientific news this week? About the gravitational waves? Did that come across your feed? So um, some very smart people uh, with very interesting machinery uh, discovered that there was a shift in gravitational waves, just a little, little, little shift, but they recognized it, and it was pretty, pretty huge. I mean, there's some laser experiment where uh, they track waves, and uh, they noticed something changed in the data this week, and it proved something that Einstein theorized 100 years ago in 1916 about gravity, and so astrophysicists had like an early Christmas this year. They were really excited, and there was a lot of nerd talk all over the internet about that, I guess. But they asked a, um, they asked a professor at McMaster University called Cliff Burgess, and he was asked, why are astronomers and physicists so excited about this? Why are they so excited about this? And this is what he said. He said this. He said, it's a whole new way of seeing the sky, That's what he said. He said, it's a whole new way of seeing the sky. What has happened here is a whole new way of seeing the sky. In other words, something happened that will change the way we see things, even moving forward and how we measure things and how we understand uh, space. And so we're going to jump into a text today from Hebrews chapter 8, and we've been walking through this book together, but we get to this moment in Hebrews chapter 7 and 8, and and something of a shift takes place, and the author tries to help the reader understand that something significant has happened, and uh, you're gonna, you, you need to see things differently uh, because of them. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to read um, that chapter together. And I'm going to attempt something that we rarely do in walking through a letter, because we do different kind of series here, topical themes, and walking through parts of Scripture. So I'm kind of going to try and teach through Hebrews 7 and 8 all in one shot, but don't worry. We're gonna, I'll, I'll keep it simple. Um, it's a lot, of, a, lot of in, a lot of info if you're reading it, but we're going to do it in a different way. So Hebrews chapter 8, we're just going to read some verses from there together. So if you've got your Bibles, you can do that. If not, follow along on the screen, and we'll, uh, we'll jump into it. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said this, he's quoting from Jeremiah, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, 
from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Let's just pause in prayer for a moment. Father, we we pause and we invite you. um, Just give us uh, the eyes to see the beauty of what we're reading here. Um, Open our hearts, our minds, captivate our attention and God, would you speak to us in a, in a way, even beyond what I'm going to say today, maybe something you need um, to get across to us, would we be open to hear that and respond? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews 8 is a little like this week's scientific discovery. It's like huge in the author's mind. Something predicted what God was already up to, and so he goes back and he quotes this prophet Jeremiah that something would happen. Kind of like Einstein a hundred years ago said, this is actually occurring, we just haven't been able to see it yet. And so the author goes back to Jeremiah and quotes Jeremiah at length to help people understand that God is already up to something, and Jesus has shown us what is going on. And people have discovered it, like the people he's writing to, like the churches that were forming and popping up all all over um, the first century. But some, like we know, the readers in Hebrews we've been tracking with this letter, have been struggling, have been wrestling. Sometimes even doubt has come in. Now, just like, think about this discovery this week scientifically. Imagine 20 years from now, the scientific community is already kind of working off this, this data, and some new scientists approach science like this week never happened. Like Einstein never said what he said. Like they never measured the data. And so you have the scientific community saying, wait a minute, why? we're like in physics 2.0. Why are you working off physics 1.0? And that's kind of what, what's happening here and what we find ourselves in Hebrew, in Hebrews right now. The, the author is trying to say, we, something has happened and something new is taking shape and, and you don't need to be working off spirituality 1.0. Something new enhanced has taken place. The author's readers are followers of Jesus. Some of them are questioning how they're going to move forward in their faith. And Hebrews is really saying, you know, do you really want to go back to spirituality 1.0? Or do you want to move forward? We've called this series better because the author uses the word better more times in this one letter than is used throughout the whole New Testament. And the author constantly contrasts what was to what is. And Hebrew shows us over and over again how much Jesus is better than any religious system, even the one he grew up in, and any secular system that would, would you know, attempt to give meaning to people's lives. And more than halfway through this letter, the author comes to this climax in chapter 7 and 8 and brings us all together. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, says it's like, it's like all these rivers kind of like, like coming down, some from the mountains, some from a different region, and they all converge into this big sea. That's, that's a little bit like what Hebrews 8 is all about. The author's been showing us all these streams, all these rivers, all these bodies of water, but now coming into this one big great sea, and the author's concern is like, hey, we're in the sea, don't go back to the river, don't go back to this one stream and this other stream, we're in a new place. And that's what the climax is like. It's, it's like the author's saying, you can't look at the sky the same way again. You can't look at life and faith the same way again. And the climax we're reading here answers religious questions and non-religious questions. For, for those who have a religious background, um, you know, the question like, how does my system get me to God? How does my moral effort or moral good or rituals get me to God? 
How can I keep obeying? How can I keep obeying and doing stuff like just duty, but not feeling like anything's different? Those are some questions that religious people, people with religious background ask. People with non-religious background will say like, is there more to life than, than this? Is there something beyond just myself and what I comprehend? Some, maybe a non-religious question would be, how can I ever live well when my human nature keeps cracking? How can, how can I live the way, I, I get a sense that there's a, a better way to live, but how can I do that when my human nature keeps cracking? Or how can I deal with the guilt of failure and mistake in my life? How do I deal with that? And that's questions that would definitely come from a non-religious um, person or, or mindset. And Hebrews does this. It points to Jesus over and over again. It's first readers to help them understand that everything they've been leaning on before coming to Christ is actually dying. That everything they've been depending on, that everything they've rooted their life and faith and understanding of God and eternity is actually dying, is actually going to disappear. And something new is coming in its place. Verse 13, at the end of chapter 8, the author says that the old covenant, he uses that word, has become obsolete. He says, by calling this covenant, this new one new, he has made, God has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. You know what the word obsolete comes from? It comes from the word geriatric. I know it's not a very nice word, but I mean, not that it's not a nice word, it's a word. It is what it is, right? But, you know, um, but it, it, it means that something's getting old. It's coming to the end of its life. That eventually, what's obsolete will disappear. And I know it's, you know, somber to think about that in terms of someone's life, but let's think about it with something that's maybe less important, like the old vacuum cleaner you used in the 90s or the 80s, right? Like, it's, it's become obsolete. It's in a dump somewhere. No one's, unless you bought an Electrolux in the 70s and you're still using it. That's, maybe that's a different story. Maybe they're better. But the, the whole idea is that the word obsolete means that, and, and old, some old things just don't work anymore. They've become obsolete, and when they become obsolete, they slowly disappear, It doesn't mean that whatever that thing was was bad. It just means it doesn't serve its purpose anymore. It's like no one would call like the Model T Ford car from the early 1900s bad, but no one would drive it today, right? Like like you would want to have a Tesla instead of a, well, I mean, if you can afford a Tesla, but apparently there's a $30,000 model coming out, so maybe that's a little bit easier. But you get the point, right? It's not, the Model T Ford is not a bad car, It was good, but there's something better now. And Hebrews does this throughout the whole letter. Refers to the the, the purpose of angels in the scripture, the purpose of the prophets in the scripture, the purpose of priests and even covenants like we're looking at today, and continually contrasting it with what God has been doing and what he's been building and what has been taking place through Jesus. It's not between bad and good. It's between good and better. It's between good and better. And Hebrews 7 and 8 is really a contrast between the good that God did in the old covenant to the better that God has been leading towards all this time. This fuller vision that for all of humanity, something that 
he was doing, his purpose all along. So what are some of the things that were good? And the, the author talks about in chapter 7 and 8. One of the things he talks about is the tabernacle or the temple. It's something that, that the Jews was very sacred to the Jews. And in chapter 8, verse 5, it, it talks about uh, a sanctuary uh, being a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. It talks about how Moses as well built this sanctuary, that God gave Moses specific instructions to build, to build this tabernacle. That God, imagine this, that God let Moses peek through kind of like our realm and God's realm and see this, see his presence. And God says, I want you to build like a portable version of something like this for Israel, because I want them to realize that I'm with them all the time. So they had this picture in their mind that God was with them all the time. They had this portable dwelling place called their tabernacle and they brought it around with them everywhere. And eventually as Israel grew into a nation, they built a whole temple and right in the middle of the temple was the Holy of Holies. Again, God's dwelling place. The Jews believe that the tabernacle is where God actually hung out. That was God's space. That he was, he was there. And it was a holy place. And only the high priest could peek behind that curtain. The Jews learned about God's glory and God's power and his presence through the tabernacle. It was good, but it wasn't the end goal. Another thing that was good was the Torah, was, was the law that God gave Israel through Moses. God gives Israel the law to help them live. The law was described as life for Israel. It helped them recognize who they were, who God was, how they can connect with God, how they can live the kind of life that God has in store for them. It was a good thing, but it wasn't the end goal. He also talked about the priesthood. The priesthood of Israel helped people connect with God, helped people feel like there was a representative between them and God. It helped them offer sacrifices. It was good. It was helpful. All these things were good and helpful, given by God, but it wasn't the full version. In fact, Hebrews says they're all copies. They're all foreshadows of what God was actually up to, what God was actually doing. So when God revealed to Moses the inner sanctuary, he was revealing to him something that, that, that he wanted him to help Israel understand at the moment, but it still served as a copy. Chapter 8, verse 5, it's a copy, it's a shadow. The law was only a glimpse of what God had in store. In chapter 7, verse 11, the author says, like the priesthood, the, the, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still a need for another priest to come? Why, if that was good, why was there a need for something else to come? So God did that, and he, he gave them these copies, these shadows of what could be. Even the kingdom of David was a, a, a copy of God's full kingdom one day coming through Christ. Even Israel, being God's people, was a copy of the sense of what a community could look like and how it can show people who God is. They're copies. Verse 6 says that Jesus brings the superior version, built on better promises, I don't know about you. When I was in high school, I used to play this game. What do you guys? What do you guys call it? I had a name for it. It's a. It's like. Um, well, you just put it on the screen. You can tell me what. You, what do you call this game? Foosball. Okay, that's what I called it too. So that's good. We're on the same page. So when I was in high school, I had there was a much worse version of this. Uh, it was a metal version. The, half the heads were chopped off. Sorry, it was morbid. We were playing it, but it, it kept us going. A bunch of our friends and we got really, really good because we played every lunchtime. We would just have a ball playing that, and we got we would slice the balls and do angles and all these kind of things. And then it was it was getting really fun. And then there was some times where we'd actually be able to play on tables like this. And uh, several summers, I worked in the East End and. 
so you, you want to buy an espresso and you walk into an Italian bar and they had one of these in the corners and so you played it and then it was a good thing. It was fun. And now I was thinking about this. Like if this was my only image of soccer and so I imagine I, like somebody comes around and I say, hey, they're like, what do you play? Oh, we're playing this awesome game. It's called soccer. And this is how you play. You hold a stick and you move, you move the, t- you go like this. And imagine while I'm explaining like this amazing soccer game with sticks and springs and hard balls and these little men all over the place. And, and I describe this amazing vision of soccer standing like five feet away is some superstar European player, like in the, in the real leagues. And he's listening in. And, and he says, can I just interrupt you for a second? Can I tell you what soccer is really all about? Because this is cool, but it's not really soccer. This is just a copy, like a shadow of soccer. Go to the next slide, Abigail. This is soccer, right? Now it looks real. That's, but, you know, for me, if I would describe that plastic set, it just doesn't compare to this. It was good, but it wasn't this. And that's what Hebrews is trying to do here saying God had done all this through the last several centuries and it was good, but it was just a copy, a shadow of what was coming. And there's this shift that takes place in verse 7 and 8 in Hebrews chapter 8 where the author um, says these words, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought after for another. But God found fault with the people of Israel and then says this, the days are coming. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I love that. I love that first phrase. It sounds like the intro to like a movie trailer. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant covenant something is going to happen something is coming and he he the author goes back to jeremiah to describe this and and what what the author is going to do is describe this old covenant but then describe this new covenant he he's already been he or she's already been describing the old covenant this bond that god had with israel the basis of their relationship that set them apart in a good way, that that showed them what life was meant to be like, that showed them who God was and how to relate to God. The key of the old covenant was that God gave them a law and the people followed with their life. So there was a law and there was light and the law and their response in life was supposed to make them a light to the nations. That was the purpose of the old covenant in, in a brief way. But Israel often failed. In fact, Jeremiah, God says through Jeremiah that they, they were unfaithful they weren't faithful. They didn't remain faithful. Yet God committed to his restoration project ongoing, but Israel lost touch. Israel didn't remain faithful. And so this change was coming. And the writer of Hebrews goes back to this prophet Jeremiah and helps his readers and us understand that God always had 2.0 in mind. This is what was coming. It's, it's the largest quote, Old Testament quote in Hebrews. And it's this promise of what God was, was doing and was going to do. And it points forward that, that Jesus would fulfill the things we just talked about. He would fulfill the tabernacle. He would fulfill the purpose of the temple. He would fulfill the purpose of the priesthood. He would fulfill the purpose of the law. And Hebrews is saying, this has already happened in Jesus. And I want to show you that this has been God's plan all along. All along, this has been God's plan. And so here are a few things that this new um, evolution that God was speaking about did for us. 
Here's a few things. The first thing it does is that it, it really provided a new relationship. A relationship that Israel didn't fully experience with God. This new covenant where God established through Jesus was something the old covenant couldn't do. The doors became open for everyone, which was God's plan all along for the nations to come into a relationship with him, to know him deeply. In other words, this is beautiful because the tabernacle, the promise is this. You can be as close to God as the tabernacle. You can be as close to God as the tabernacle. The word tabernacle means dwelling. That this is where God's space is. And this promise is there's a new relationship that will help you experience God in a way that you haven't before. In fact, the fullness of that is one day in eternity where the same word tabernacle is in the book of Revelation and says God will tabernacle with you. He will dwell with you. He will be your God. That's the fullest sense. But here in this time period through Jesus, we have a new relationship that's available with God. The old covenant required constant forgiveness, constant obedience of the law. This new covenant requires us to follow, of course, but it's based on Jesus accepting us through grace and something he didn't accomplish on the cross gives us this new relationship. So when we trust him, when we follow him, we discover this relationship, we grow in this relationship, something that was promised from way back. In this new covenant, God shows us how much he loves us and how he's coming to us. I remember years ago, I had, I had a birthday party. I think I might have shared this story, but I was thinking about it today or this week as I was thinking about this particular part of the message. My brother and I had this 18th birthday party and we came home and it was a big surprise. And at the time, my brother Rick lived in Toronto. And so we were all happy that this party's going on. I go in my bedroom to get changed because we came out of a day of skiing and we go up and we go in the room and there's my brother Rick and my sister-in-law kind of hiding behind the bed. They, they showed up, and I thought, you could have called. I didn't think that, but I realized they could have called. In today's day and age, they could have Skyped. They, they could have sent a video message. They could have done something that maybe would have honored our birthday. But what they did was so beautiful. They actually drove six hours to be there in person with us to keep growing our relationship. When we think of the new covenant, God sent Jesus, his son. He didn't just send a letter. He didn't just send a video message. He came in person, in person to start this relationship, to make this relationship happen. So this new relationship that Hebrews is trying to help this church understand and us understand, it's personal, it's intimate, it's present. It's present. It can be as close as the tabernacle. The tabernacle in physical sense was good, but not the greatest. God had something else in store. Something else that, that happens that we read that, you know, from Jeremiah, and it's this new nature. Not just a new relationship, but a new nature. And we ask this question, what is, a religious person might say, how much can I do, what can I, how much can I obey to change my life? A, a non-religious person might say, I want to grow and become this kind of person, but I always feel a crack in my, in my system, a crack in my, in my framework sometimes. I feel like I, I can't grow. And it's this sense of, what is my, what's my nature? The Bible says we have a sinful nature. The scripture promises that God wants to change our nature. We might still deal with sin, but there's this change of of nature, and so what we read here, where, where um, we read it right here, here's Jeremiah saying this, or God saying this through him I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, 
from the least of them to the greatest. I love that top line. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. Think of the tablets that uh, God gave Moses, these two tablets, right? Like the scripture says that God's law was written on stone. God's law was written on stone. That's the way that Israel understood the law. And it was communicated to them through that way. It was chiseled on stone and then written on transcripts. But this is different, right? This promise here is that God will actually write the law on our hearts. And so I was thinking about like what a, tab- what a tablet looks like. And when you just go like this, what does it look like? Looks like a heart. Well, you might say butterfly if you're artistically challenged, but I think it's his heart. <laughs> just joking. So, so when you think about that, here's God initially says, I'm going to put the law here. It's going to be chiseled on stone, but something it will take place further down the road. I want to write the law on your hearts. I want to write the law on your minds. I want to empower you in such a way so you can live the law Not by reading it off something, but that by the power of of the cross and the power of God's spirit, the law grows in us. God's desire for us. Years ago, I I remember meeting my dad uh, at a church we were a part of in the center of the city. And um, so I went to meet him for some afternoon and I hung out for a little bit, but I had to go downtown. And there was a pastor there at the church that uh, said, hey, where are you going? I said, I'm going downtown. He said, I'll take you. I'm like, cool, I'll get a lift. So... I jumped in the car with this person and uh, he takes me downtown and like I knew somewhat the route to downtown as a 16 year old and uh, but we kind of weaved through all these streets and and got there super fast all of a sudden I remember we the first image I ever had of shooting down Christoph Columb and then turning left on right on a street and there was a big park and all of a sudden we landed like it was St. Denis downtown and I thought wow how do we get there so fast and and then as I started talking to this guy he said I was when I was you know younger I was a taxi driver and uh, I like I have this I drove all over the city and, you know, before GPSs were around, um, this guy certainly didn't have one in terms of, of his age. And uh, he, just, he just knew the city. Like, the map was written on his mind. Like, he just knew it. And I remember how amazing it was, without even thinking, without even worrying, just talking, whatever, he knew exactly where he was going. And that kind of, that's a little bit of a glimpse of what God wants to do when he writes his law on our hearts when he puts his law in our minds, that he wants to do something so special, so intimate, so significant, that, that, that he wants to change our nature. But he can't just change our nature by just giving us information. He wants to do something spiritual in us, something supernatural in us. So in Jesus, God gives us a new nature. And that new nature becomes our compass, becomes our guide, we, God leads us and guides us. He convicts us when we go off. When we follow Jesus, the, the scripture says that, that God's very spirit lives in us and then starts to teach us and guide us and even convict us. And sometimes we will keep sinning, but our new nature that's connected to Jesus will remind us of that sin. And our new nature that is empowered by the spirit will show us when we go off and will grab our attention. We can sometimes disregard his voice We can sometimes say, that's cool, thanks for the advice, but I'm still going to go this way, and we can be rebellious. But that new nature has done something in us now that reminds us, that shows us, that leads us, that guides us. Man, I by no means am I perfect, and I sin all the time, like all of you. 
But I'm so grateful for this new nature that has changed my heart. I can look back to moments, um, even, even in high school, that I can say, God, thank you. Because if it was up to me, I totally would have went the other way. I think back to some decisions in relationships and, and think, oh man, if that was fully up to me, if there was nothing in me that, that was changed, I would have totally messed that up. I think of some of the financial decisions that you know, we've made over the years, and I think if it was just according to my nature and not a new nature, it, it wouldn't have gone that way. There's something that happens when God's spirit indwells you. Jesus did something for me long ago when I started to follow him and he begins to change the software in us, our OS. He, he just, he begins to change that and that, and that shapes us and that's, that's the new nature that God promised way before Jesus ever showed up but then gets fulfilled in him. But here's the last piece. It's not just a new relationship, not just a new nature, it's a new start. It's a new start and, and the end of the verse there uh, when, they're, when they're quoting Jeremiah says this, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Here's God promising this hundreds of years before Jesus. For I will forgive their wickedness. Remember, Israel was unfaithful. They, they kept failing and messing up. God says, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. Here's this promise. And it's going to get clearer in chapter 10 as we get to chapter 10 in a few weeks. But this is this new start, this clean slate, this, this fresh page, this fresh camp canvas, this opportunity for a fresh start that is promised way before Jesus even ever shows up. Now imagine these first readers from Hebrews. We know that they have a Jewish, many of them have a Jewish background. Many of them are struggling. They're wondering, should I go back to Judaism? But as the writer starts to really get to the whole, like the big body of water here, you know, finishes with the streams, Imagine what they're thinking. Imagine what's going through their minds. Imagine, you know, all their roots in Judaism, all their roots in their religious system, all their roots in, 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 in how they would, you know, understand forgiveness and, and understand the process of forgiveness. And then this, their whole view of religion and realizing, man, my, feeling the weight of my future is dependent on my past, my past decisions, my past mistakes, my past sin. And then they hear this f- reminder from their own scriptures, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I'm sure in that moment, they, something jumped in them and said, I never fully realized this is where God was headed. And it's through Jesus that this happens. A few years back, I, f- I was able to finish my like, a degree at Concordia. It was a master's in theology. But um, it was a really long process because I started it 12 years ago and I did it for a few years and then stuff happened. You ever, that happens in life when stuff happens and you realize, okay, this is a little hiccup in my journey. And we had just started the church. Uh, we had our second child and my dad had passed away and I was in a class on something at the time and I remember, and I just, just didn't have like the headspace to get the class done. In fact, I had really good marks, I promise you. I won't tell you what they were, but I promise you I had good marks. And then I got an F on this class. Uh, you know, like doing your master's, you want to do that well, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And maybe I need a break. So I took three, month, three semesters off, or one or two semesters off. The third semester, I tried to get back in, and, um, and I remember I landed a class. It was a reading class. It was just the teacher, me, and a political science major, and it was on globalization and diversity, a topic I could not care less about at the moment. And it was just, um, and with three people, you got to talk a lot. 
right? And I like to talk, but not about globalization and diversity with a major in political science, and I'm interested in theology, and here's this teacher, and I just thought, I, I don't think I can do this. So before I even went forward, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not take this class. But what happened is it ejected me out of my three-semester break that I'm allowed, so it ejected me out of the program. Well, seven years later... I decide to go back and finish my master's and I'm applying and they say, listen, Mr. Manifold, here's the deal. We'll definitely want to consider you coming back, but you've been away for seven years and in other sciences and other, you know, uh, uh, fields, uh, you got to go and do some back work. And I'm like, oh, you're serious? They say, they have maybe up to three or four courses extra. I'm like, three or four extra? Like beyond what I have to do? I said, whatever, let's just see. Let me make the application. And I was waiting for this letter that would said, you got to go back and do this in like a bachelor level and some extra pre-work course and all this stuff. And then, and I remember getting the email. I got the email and it said, you're accepted to the program again. And I'm trying to read further to see like what their requirements are. And I read nothing. So I called the department right away. I said, I got this letter. I'm accepted. What else? Don't I have to do anything else? And they said, you know what, we just we considered your file and we thought, we're not going to make you do anything else. Just come back into the program. That was like, for me, that was that verse. It's like, forgive your wickedness. Uh, you, know, for, you know, like whatever. There's a fresh, brand new start. You can re-engage without your past determining this decision right now. And that's what God wants to do for each and every one of us. And that's what the letter of Hebrews wants to remind these Christians about when they're wrestling and struggling with the, their, their sin and, their, and, and where they're failing and where they're hitting obstacles. And he wants them to realize God gives you a fresh start with this new covenant. Jesus is better. He's done something to make this happen. And so that's what God wants to do for you and me. He wants to give us a brand new relationship. He wants to give us a brand new nature. And he wants to give us a brand new start and whether we've been following Jesus for ages, that's encouragement to us because we, are, we realize that's God's vision for our relationship with him. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we close today. And, um, and just, I think the sense of this part in this letter, the hope of the author would have been, oh, I hope when they read this, I hope when they get this, I hope when they see this big picture, I hope when they see all the streams and rivers coming into this big sea, I hope when they, when they see this really like this shift 2.0 and they recognize that God all the, from, from way back that the things that they relied on were just copies and shadows, that, that God actually intended for it to all go this way in Christ. I think the author's desire was, I hope when they read this, I hope when they share this letter in their little church community, the light bulb's going to go on in their heart and in their mind. They're going to say, thank you. Thank you, God, that you did this for me. Thank you, God, that you, you led this. Thank you, God, that this was part of your whole restoration project. Thank you that you left us hints along the way. Thank you that what we experienced in the past was good and, and we were wondering why it felt like it didn't fully do everything, but it was just a copy. It was just a foreshadow, but you've given us the full picture in Jesus. And I think the author's desire would be embrace it, take hold of it, trust Jesus, live it, move into it, move into it. And so as we come to a close today, I, wanna, I, I pray that that's like this jump in our hearts saying, wow, this is what God has been doing all along for me. And part of what you've experienced is because of that. Even if you've been following Christ for years, it's because God did this. 
that that's possible. But here, here's a little caution. Here's a little caution. If you're following Christ today, wherever you're coming from, whether it's religious or non-religious background, wherever you're coming from, make sure you cling to the real thing. Because the temptation for the first readers was, maybe I can cling to some of my past here. The, the, the temptation for someone from a non-religious background is, maybe I can cling to some of these principles and ideas and stepping stones to make my life X, Y, and Z. And the temptation is to go back to the copy. The temptation is to go back to the religious copy. The temptation is to go back to the secular copy. In Quebec and Montreal, we know religion. We know religion is steeped in our society and our culture. Sometimes when someone comes to faith, they figure, let me go back to some of these religious pieces that maybe make it happen. And Quebec is also one of the most secular parts of North America. And so part of the temptation is, okay, this looks good, but let let me piece it together with some of this, some of my secular mindset. And the, the, the message here is don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to rely on a copy. Religious or secular copy. It's not, it's not worth it because it's a false security. It's a false significance that will not get you to where God wants you to be. Don't get distracted by the old or the copy. Let's live and move into the, into the, into the new of what God has in store for us. And if you're here today and you're seeking, oh, my challenge to you is look at who Jesus is. Look back, and whether you have a religious background or a secular background, and you're, you're wrestling with some questions, the message, the invitation to you is you can move on from that and discover the full life that God has in store for you when you trust in Jesus, when you put your foot into following him. Trust what he has done, what he has accomplished, what God has promised all along. Let's pray. Father, We just we stand back and, and, and just for a moment, Lord, we ask you to just magnify in our eyes, in our understanding, just the incredible plan that you have had all along. God, we thank you for the streams and rivers that have led us to this point. The good that you have done throughout history, but your story continued to build. And God, we say thank you because in your heart, in your mind, in your design, like we read from Jeremiah, you had always intended this, this kind of relationship, this kind of nature, this kind of fresh start. We say thank you. God, for some of us, many of us maybe who've already experienced this and are growing in you, we just say thank you for what you've done. Thank you that we can be a part of it. Thank you that you're at work in our hearts. We want to embrace it even more. God, for some here today that maybe for the first time are just understanding the implications of what you have done through your son, Jesus. You came in person to show us that we could have a relationship with you. Present, intimate, personal. You can change our hearts. You can give us a fresh start. So for some making this decision today, God, as they make that step and trust Jesus and repent of, of the old, the copy, whatever has brought them to this point and move into what they long for you to do, God, would you show them your heart? Show them the incredible vision of Jesus. God, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.